Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Scott of Explore History Limited, and I will be leading you through this very interesting travel journal from 1928. In this podcast, I'm going to read through this journal written in the winter of 1928 during a cruise through the Mediterranean. The author is the same as the one who wrote the first journal in the series, and she's traveling with some of the same people, as well as with her mum. This trip is quite different from the first, beginning with a train journey through France and then aboard a cruise ship where they would explore the eastern Mediterranean, visiting Naples and Pompeii, Palestine, Egypt, Constantinople, Cyprus, Athens, and Malta, before docking in Monaco, catching a train back through France and on to London. A significant amount of time is spent in Egypt, which appears to have been a definite focus of the holiday. Here our writer visits many of the most famous sites in the country, including Luxor, Karnak, the Pyramids of Giza and the Sphinx, the Valley of the Kings, perhaps most important and exciting of all, the recently discovered tomb of King Tutankhamun. This and the other stops throughout the journey, particularly in Athens, where the group would twice visit the Acropolis, many of the ancient sites around the city, and at Malta. The writer's keen interest and understanding of ancient history shines through. I've tried my best to keep the text in as original a format as possible, making just a few changes where a word or two were impossible to identify. I hope you find it of interest, so let's get started. February 3rd, left Victoria Station at Folkestone and Boulogne. Aunt Maud and Miss Gillett saw us off. Mum and Margie and I had a salon lit to Monaco where we arrived at 4 p.m. February 4th and stayed at the Hotel Renaissance. Very comfortable, close to the quay. February 5th. I went to early church, saw Sybil Stoughton after. Mum and Margie went to church at 11. Mary and Cousin Daisy arrived over from Ospedaletti soon after 11, and we sat on the parade in the sunshine. Had both breakfast and lunch out on the terrace. Went on board the Stella Polaris about 2.30. The others came and saw over the ship and left to catch their train at 4. We sailed at 5 p.m. Very comfortable cabins and beds. She rolled a bit after starting, and Marge and I both had to hurry to our beds. February 6th. I spent the day on a deck chair and had my lunch brought to me on a tray. A kind, plain girl called Scott fetched me Bovril at 11. We got into Naples about 6 p.m. February 7th. Marge and I walked to station and found an express train to Pompeii at 10.40, so we returned it and collected Mum and our lunch. We arrived too early to eat in the train, so sat on a bench and had our lunch outside the gates of the excavation at 11.30. We found so much food in our luncheon boxes that we fed most of the guides besides a dog and a pigeon. We engaged a guide who boarded the train at the previous station. He was quite good and took us round for 35 lira for three hours. We went to see the new excavations first. They were all perfectly marvelous. Then we went to the Temple of Isis, the Forum, the Theater, and the Baths. After walking for a solid three hours, we came back by 3.15 train and got to Naples about 4.30. We then wasted time and energy out looking for the chocolate shop, but had forgotten both name of the shop and the street. We took a carriage back to the ship, Tealess. February 8th. We set off by tram to museum, but it wasn't open till 11. So we walked on to Via Roma and went down till we finally found the chocolate shop, Carfisse. We drank chocolate with dollops of cream and walked back to shop by the quay. After lunch, Margie slept on deck, and Mum and I started out again and had a most interesting afternoon at the museum. We ran into a Homeric crowd at the entrance, but they didn't bother us after we were once in. We had to leave at four as it closed, and we got back for tea on the ship and sailed about seven. 
had a most exciting time watching all the shipping. The Arana went out just before us, also a messagerie and an Italian ship. The Homeric was in the outer harbour. February 9th. Woke at 3am and watched Stromboli for about half an hour. We went on deck at 7 and watched ourselves into Messina. We went with the ship's tour to Termina by train from Messina to the Gardena station, and there up hairpin turns to Tormina. Glorious view of sea and of Etna covered in snow. Went to see Greek temple and sat there and basked in the sun after the guide and rest of party had moved on. Lunged at the Hotel Dominica, a former monastery. A large and beautiful place, made into a modern and very expensive hotel. We did a little shopping as we came down the long street back to the square. A perilous motor drive down to the station and a longish waiting train. Came under Etna and through groves of lemons to Catania, where we rejoined the ship at 6 p.m. We were so tired we went to bed directly after dinner and slept nearly 12 hours. February 10th. A day at sea. Deck games were started. I entered for bull boards and buckets but failed in the first round. February 11th. Also at sea. No sign of land or ships for a full day. February 12th. The Padre on board took a short service at 11. We got to Haifa about 4 p.m., having had sight of Palestine for several hours. February 13th. We went ashore in Cook's Launch, and they arranged for us very well and provided a good guide and car with careful drivers. We went first up to Mount Carmel and saw Elijah's cave, which now has a Carmelite church built over it. Then we went on through Nazareth and Cana to Galilee, to the brow of the hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee and the present town of Tiberias. The lake was a beautiful blue and the snow-capped Mount Hermon in the distance. One could have stayed there in the sunshine for hours. However, we had to go back to Nazareth and we had lunch there and then walked through the village and visited the sites of the Annunciation and the carpenter's shop. Got back to the ship just before a storm had a very rough night. February 14th. Got to Port Syed about 7, but too late to catch the 8 o'clock train. Very efficient man from Cook's took charge of us and saw us off to Cairo at 12.15. We arrived about 4.30 and went to Cook's office and there to tea at Shepherd's Hotel. Went on to Luxor by the tr night train, leaving at 6.30 p.m. Very comfortable wagon sits. February 15th. Arrived at Luxor 7 a.m. or a little later. A dragoman in lovely blue coat met us at the station and saw us into the hotel bus. We stayed at the Winter Palace. They gave us one good room which we were able to occupy at once. A single room for Mum proved to be away in the attic. The hotel was so full there were no other, and it had a beautiful view. We had breakfast and then went to the Luxor Temple. First thing we had to do was to buy fly whisks, not only for the flies but to save ourselves being pestered by sellers of the same. Our guide took us to a shop in a back street where we got some with ivory handles. He also insisted on our going into a shop of scent and cigarettes where we had to buy sauce and drink Arabian tea next day. After lunch, we drove to Karnak, marvelous place. We were fairly exhausted by the time we got back to the hotel. Had tea on a terrace overlooking the garden. There was a gala put on, but we went early to bed. However, we found our window made a grand stand for the firework display on the Nile, which was really very pretty. February 16th. We crossed the Nile and drove to the Tomb of the Kings. We saw one chamber of Tutankhamun and the outer sarcophagus with carved figures at corners. The walls and everything were covered up and is only open for part of the day three times a week as Mr. Carter is still at work there. 
We saw the tombs of Seti I and Ramses II. We had lunch at Cook's Rest Home, where we saw Dorothy Pickford. We then visited Dare al Bari. We got back to our hotel about 2.45 and had a rest, and then were taken to drink our Arabian tea with anise greens in it. It certainly acted as a restorative. The man assured Mum it would cure rheumatism, so she got her in for buying a little pot. Very expensive. We did more shopping near the hotel. February 17th. We again crossed the Nile and drove to Madeira Habro. I got some very successful photographs there. We went to the tombs of the queens. In one tomb were pictures of the queens, several rather like Mary, and one and two exactly like Meg. We went to the temple of Deir el Madeira on our way home. We passed the Colossi both on our way and returning home. We came back to the hotel for lunch and packed. Had to get out of our rooms by 4.30. Our dragoman arrived after tea with large bouquets of flowers. They were rather a trial on the journey and at Cairo, but they, but they smelt lovely, had beautiful roses in them. We left Luxor 7 p.m. and slept soundly. February 18th. Arrived in Cairo 7.30 a.m. Drove to Semiramis Hotel and had nice rooms opening into each other. Were able to go straight in, though not yet put tidy from people who'd left at 7 a.m. We again had some breakfast and our very charming dragoman Solomon was waiting for us. We went first to the museum and could have spent many hours there. The rooms full of Tutankhamun treasures are beyond description. There's a great deal else of interest, but is eclipsed by these newly found treasures. We drove to Old Cairo, rather dull, and saw the oldest mosque and the Coptic church. Then we went to the bazaars and bought some little silk things, but had not much time to waste there. We returned to the hotel for lunch and started out again at 2.15, returned to the pyramids. We refused to get on camels and walk to the Sphinx. Rather warm work in the sand. We were able to take many photographs, which we could not have done on a camel. We came on the Stella party, all being photographed against the Sphinx. We're so glad we were not with them. We came back for tea and sat on a loggia overlooking the Nile. February 19th. We all three went to early service at the cathedral, which was only five minutes' walk. Margie rested after breakfast, and Mum and I set off with Solomon in a car. We tried to find the other English church, which Mum remembered, in order to look at a window to Uncle Ben. But after being taken to the French Protestant, the Presbyterian, what I think may have been a synagogue, we gave it up and continued our expedition to the mosques. We went to the Citadel and the Mosque of Hassan and Muhammad Ali and the Sultan's Palace, and then through the Dead City to the tombs of the Mamelukes and Caliphs. We went to the Blue Mosque, of which there are not many blue tiles left, had a good drive all round, getting a good idea of the various quarters. Came back to lunch and then we all drove by car to Saqqara. The roads were not at all bad, and I much enjoyed the country and seeing the native villages, etc. We went and saw the statue of Ramses at Memphis and the Alabaster Sphinx, and then on to Saqqara. We were introduced to our guide's uncle, who was sheikh of the district. Went into the Serapium, and Margie nearly screamed when she had to walk through these endless dark passages underground, lit only by magnesium wire on each side of the large marble sarcophagus of the sacred bowls. Went into two of the tombs and then felt we could easily do no more. It was very warm inside. We got back to Cairo about 5.30. Very glad of a cup of tea. The cook excursion, which was cancelled, meant starting at 9 a.m. and getting back at 6 p.m. and riding donkeys all the five miles each way from Badrashan. Cooks are under contract with the Arabs not to advertise or recommend any other way of going there. February 20th. Left Cairo 11 a.m. Found all the Stella people in the train. 
had very unpleasant lunch. His train was very full. Our cook's representative met us at Port Syed and got us back on the Stella long before anyone else. We sailed about five. The wind was getting up and she soon began to roll. February 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. Over these three days, we drew a veil. The Stella pitched. The wind blew cold. It was too rough to land at Candia. We at last anchored off an island for the night and had a little peace. February 24th. Calmer when we got into the Dardanelles. We took on a pilot at Chanak. We missed actually seeing Gallipoli as it was early. It got colder and colder. We at last arrived at Constantinople at 6 and it began to snow. It snowed heavily all night. The ship was tethered at the quay at Galatea. February 25th. Deep snow and ship's excursion cancelled as they wouldn't take the risk of broken legs. But the purser provided me with the pilot as a guide and we made up a party of the two Miss Whittles and Mr. Hudson. Mum had a cold so we didn't dare risk her going out with the biting wind and snow. We were relieved to find the cars all had chains, so we got quite easily over the bridge of the Golden Horn to Istanbul and visited St. Sophia and the Blue Mosque, and then went to the bazaar. Everything is now European. Not even a fez is allowed to be seen in the streets. Margie wanted rugs for the dining room, so our pilot took us to a real oriental little shop, and we all sat and warmed ourselves round a brazier while Margie did a very successful bargain. It took some time, and we then returned to the ship for lunch. In the afternoon, Margie and I ventured out on our own, on foot, to explore the European quarter, the Pira. We went up a street of shops and got into the main shopping centre, all European. Then it came on to snow worse than ever, and we returned home and found it very difficult to keep on our feet, as it was freezing hard all the time, and icicles hanging from the houses. We were glad to get back to the ship. February 26th. It was useless to attempt to search for the English church in the snow. It was somewhere at the top of Pira. Mum came out with us as it was a better day, and we got a guide on the quay through the official agent. We took Mum to St. Sophia and then went to the museum. We couldn't see the crown jewels in the Sultan's palace as it didn't open till one. We went again to the bazaars, but a different part, and went in a place once the Emperor Constantius's stables, where there were all sorts of rather fascinating old things. Our guide wasn't helpful about bargains, as he wanted his own commission from the salesman. We got back to the ship for lunch, and at 2 p.m. we steamed up the Bosphorus for an hour and back. It was very cold. We stood on deck in everything we had, and then went into the fore saloon at intervals to thaw. It was, of course, just a study in black and white, and all very bare and desolate. We passed back through Constantinople just at sunset, and again Miss Suvia Bay, though Margie had her head out the porthole half the night to try and see it. February 27th had following wind and managed to keep fairly warm on deck. Decided the Greek islands looked rather cold and forbidding. Very much a summer resort only. We got to Athens about four in perfectly glorious weather. It was all too lovely. We were anchored out in Phaleron Bay from where we had a full view of the Acropolis. February 28th. Not quite such a cloudless sky, but still quite a nice day and a certain amount of sunshine. We started on our own after breakfast and were lucky in finding a very nice guide on the quay named Nicholas. He'd been a waiter at the Criterion and head of officer's mess at Abukur in 1920. Went to Athens by train. We walked from station by Roman market to Temple of the Winds and the Byzantine Church, then to Palace Square where we took a taxi to the Acropolis. Had one and a quarter hours there till turned out by warden's dinner bell at twelve. All too entrancing. Went to the Temple of Theseus, then had a very good 
light luncheon at the English tea rooms in Palace Square. Our guide came for us after an hour. We went to the Temple of Jupiter and the stadium and then the museum. Went all round but had to come away rather hurrying the last rooms. Some of our legs simply couldn't do any more work. We stopped at a shop near the station and bought embroidered bags. Returned to the ship very exhausted, not quite in fettle or fancy dress. Margie struck, but I dressed up in quilted petticoat, and Margie helped me do my hair with high pad and well powdered. We had crackers and streamers at dinner. The costumes were all very good. We had to parade on deck after, and also be photographed. It was so cold the dancing was in the saloon. Madame Hessen gave a most beautiful set of exhibition dances. Most dramatic and marvelous now she managed on the slippery floor. It would have been better for her on deck. February 29th. With great regret, Mum felt her knees couldn't do another morning of the Acropolis, so we took Mrs. Thompson and Mrs. Heslin with us and found Nicholas waiting for us. We retraced a good deal of the same ground as the day before, but spent more time in the Bacchus Theatre and Asclepium, and then up from there to the Acropolis, till we were again ejected by Bell. We returned to the Stella for luncheon and sailed about 4 p.m., a ship's group photograph was taken after tea, which I missed, but Mum and Margie appeared well to the fore. March 1st. A day at sea, and not particularly pleasant one. It's very difficult to keep warm on deck, and I retired to my bed in a hot water bottle before the end of the afternoon. March 2nd. Arrived at Malta in the early morning, anchored in the Grand Harbour. Mum and Margie went ashore for a short time before lunch. I remained on deck and looked at the shipping. We all went ashore in the afternoon and went to St. John's Church of the Knights of Malta and to the armory. We could not see the tapestry as Parliament was sitting. We had tea in a shop. Then it came on to rain hard and we returned to the shop. We used the lift both ways to get up to the town. Quick but rather alarming. It was rather rough in the harbour and not too easy negotiating the jump to and from the launch. The lights at night were fascinating. All the battleships outlined in lights. The Queen Elizabeth was facing us and the eagle on the further side. The little pleasure cruiser Prince Olaf came in alongside us in the evening. She was Queen Alexandria's yacht. Seemed rather small for cruising through the bay. March 3rd. Mum and I went ashore and took our carriage up to the museum, which was full of interesting things, only we felt our time was limited. We then went to see the tapestries, walked back to the harbour down one of the streets of steps. We sailed soon after 1 p.m., it was not so rough at sea as we had feared, and quite a good night. Paid the various ship's accounts, stamps, etc. March 4th. Sat on the boat deck in the sun till church at 10.30. Mrs. Scott played the hymns out of her Scotch hymnal. Returned to boat deck. Went through the islands by coast of Sardinia and through the Strait of Bonifacia. Stayed on deck till after 6. Had a very grand farewell dinner and all received a souvenir bookmark. We all had to drink the captain's health in punch. And after speeches and the prize giving for deck sports, the lights went out and a procession of ices came down the stairs, each waiter carrying a large block of ice with a different colored electric light inside. We sat on deck for a bit after dinner with the Hamiltons. Had a rather disturbed night as the waves came in passing over one porthole about once in every hour. I did most of my packing before I went to bed. March 5th. Arrived at Monaco about 7 a.m. We finished our packing after breakfast and got off about 10.30. Had a terrible time at the customs over Margie's carpets, which we finally left there to be sealed and sent direct to customs in London. We got the porter from the Renaissance Hotel to take our luggage to the station and register it. We had lunch at the hotel. I had to go to Cook's for some money. 
It was a glorious last sunny day, and the sea a more lovely blue than we saw it at all the while we were away. We left by the blue train at 4 p.m. Rather enjoyed our tea on the train. Very pretty scenery all along the Riviera, but very shaky train. At dinner we had the greatest difficulty in getting our soup into our mouths. The train was full of Stella, including Lady Hennis, and the Galts, and the Boltons, and the Fargus. We had a very comfortable night. The train waited an hour at the Gare de Lyon, but of course no time to go and see anything of the city. We crossed to Dover about 4 and 5 p.m. It was as calm as a mill pond, a little inclined to be misty, but no real fog. I got to Victoria about 7.30 and wrapped my flat soon after 8. Had supper and went to bed on March 6th. Margie went north on March 7th and so ended a very delightful holiday. So that concludes the journal um, that was this woman had taken in February and early part of March of 1928. So what can we learn from this? Well, first of all, I think this second journal really reinforces much of what we saw in the first. Clearly, this is a person of means and education. I mean, if nothing else, she takes two tours uh, through the Mediterranean in the matter of a couple years. We see she has a very keen interest in archaeology and ancient history, and like thousands of others at the time, was captivated by Carter's discovery of the tomb of King Tutankhamun. Most stops includes, in, throughout her, her travels include a visit to a museum or an ancient site. Despite a definite interest in Gallipoli, there are no references to World War I, the political or economic situation in Europe. Of course, the trip was in the early weeks of 1928. Stock market crash was in 29 and still far off in the future. So from reading this, we get a strong sense that the world, or at least this person's small part of it, had returned to normal and all was well. We don't really get any sense of what's going on politically, the fact that if, you know, what was going on in Britain in 1926, you have the national strike and industrial problems are emerging, Germany's in chaos at this time with um, superinflation. We don't get any of that. This is something that is definitely isolated from those kind of problems. And it seems that things have gone back to normal and that she is able to go on this wonderful holiday and really take part in the kind of things that she's passionate about. Shopping, archaeology and history, sightseeing, photography, all of these things see these important sites. And um, that tells us an awful lot about the kind of person that she was, that this group were made up of. And um, we can learn a lot from that. I hope you've enjoyed this. If you have, please uh, like it for us. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, you can visit the Explore History uh, website at explorehistory.co.uk. Visit our um, archives and look at the sources that we have, other podcasts that we offer. And um, there'll be much more coming up very soon. So stay tuned. All the best.